Welcome to episode 24 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is a horse racing author and a daily racing form legend, Dan Oman. We discussed the three preps from last weekend from around the country and some interesting thoughts and angles like when to use the all button against a weak favorite and does Bob Baffert have another game winner on his hand. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest today, one of the best handicappers I have ever read, Dan Ilman. Dan, how are you doing today? Doing great, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, when you recently just started doing picks for Laurel, I understand, from one of my friends who also works at the DRF, have you been able to handicap Laurel much before that, or was it kind of just changing to a new circuit? It was kind of changing to a new circuit. I've always liked the racing at Laurel, but there's only a certain amount of stakes races there, and really my job at DRF, along with producing all of our video content, is handicapping sort of the national stakes races every week on DRF. And Laurel will have the General George, and of course we'll have the Preakness, and we'll have Maryland Million Day and a couple of other nice days, like uh, the Francis Memorial Dash, but... For the most part, uh, I was unfamiliar with Laurel. It's been a learning curve. I've enjoyed it greatly to uh, to really try to understand the nuances of a new track, the various biases, the trainers, the jockeys. Uh, it's a one-turn mile with a very long stretch. So I'm getting the hang of it slowly. I hope uh, people are patient with me. <laughs> so really quick. So when you first, back in 2005, wrote Betting Maidens and Two-Year-Olds, what was? Did you ever think that you would write a second book, or is there a second book possibly coming later on in life? What is the idea with when you wrote that book? The idea when I wrote that book was that I guess that was a genre that hadn't been explored too much, uh, two-year-olds and, and uh, maidens. I tried to work on an angle of pedigree, trainer, and workout intent, the three intangibles, and that basically if you were looking for a first-time starter, you pretty much wanted to have a combination of all three. Now we have workout reports coming out. Back then, I tried to come up in the book with a way where you could fish for uh, workout information simply by trying to match up workouts using formulator, using the work tab. Uh, it's a lot easier now for folks to get workout information. Uh, is there another book in the works? Uh, in this business, you never say never. I'd love to actually redo it because, you know, the stallions that I highlighted back in the day, uh, they may not be active anymore, and there are always new ones coming out. So it, it's a book that probably needs a refresher, uh, and if I can take a deep breath one of these days, maybe I'll give it another shot what do you say we get started with our first race on the card it was at santanita it was race six it was the grade three robert b lewis going one and one sixteenth mile on the dirt what were your thoughts going into this race dan thoughts going into this race was that thousand words laid over the field 
And the question you had to ask yourself was, did you really think that one of these sort of unknowns, one of these turf horses that had never tried uh, dirt for the first time, maybe could knock him off of his game? But if you just simply looked at it from a buyer speed figure standpoint, this was a horse that really laid over the field. He was going to be a short price for Bob Baffert. Uh, he seemed like a single in multiple race wagers. And the question was, was one of the other turf horses going to do it? Because I was not a Tism Magician fan coming into this race off of his maiden win. I thought he was okay. High Velocity, who looked like the other Baffert and the second choice in the race as the other Baffert. I just thought Thousand Words proved superior to High Velocity in the Low Salamitos. So this was a race that was rather uninteresting, I think, to handicap on paper. I think a lot of folks felt that way. It was just whether Thousand Words would be able to take that next step forward uh, on the road for Baffert. And Baffert, I think, kind of took the, the road less least travel by uh, with Thousand Roads here. For me, when I first looked at the race, I try and start off with the pace. And it seemed like it was going to be a little hot up front. I know high velocity was going to go. Tis a magician in that nice maiden win had to be up close. It just seemed like Thousand Word was kind of like the speed of the speed. I ended up going with the number one encoder. I just thought that there was a little bit of back class, even though it was on the turf. I liked the jockey change to Mike Smith. I didn't. There wasn't obviously much in the pedigree. This is the only foal for the family. And he he did have hard spun on the bottom. I thought that Thousand Words was going to be a little bit too short. Now, obviously, going to play it back. I would play Thousand Words on top and Coder in second just to try to hit a little exacta. Where were you going at for a wagering standpoint if you did wager here? Was it mostly just single and multis and, and move on? It was single and multis and move on, but I think you had at least the right idea with Sadler, mm -hmm. whether it was the, the jockey change to Mike Smith or whether if you looked in Formulator and you saw John Sadler's overall uh, statistics from turf to dirt, and they're surprisingly uh, good. 22% uh, winners from 142 starters, a $2.40 return on investment, 55% in the money. I mean, these are very good numbers for a very good trainer who was taking a shot. I mean, he knew Thousand Words was in this race. Uh, he obviously thought this horse could handle dirt. Uh, and again, if you were going to take a chance with a price horse, I think you were probably going to take one with, uh, with a guy that knows how to win turf to dirt and uh, wasn't exposed on the main track, let's say, like some of these other ones. Another thought, just looking through it real quick, when you see so much pace in the race and you know that you have horses coming turf to dirt, do you kind of feel that even if the turf horses show a little bit of early foot, it won't be that dirt speed so that they might be three or four lengths off the lead early? Well, my main concern with turf horses running on dirt, uh, if there's going to be speed in the race and they're obviously going to be coming from behind it, how are they going to handle the kickback? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a major, major concern with some of these horses. Uh, Encoder was outrun a little bit in the early portion of this race. I think he didn't seem that comfortable inside. Maybe he didn't like that kickback. Uh, in a race like this, I don't know. I, I, I kind of don't mind turf horses that if they're going to get out run a little bit on dirt, let them find their stride and come with a run if there's pace. Um, on turf, they have no chance if they're one-run closers, and we go 50 to the half every week. It seems with horses like Admission Office, uh, that happens to him every single week, and we see the result. It's either close but no cigar or off the board. But uh, I think in this case on dirt, it really doesn't bother me if they're going to fall behind or maybe they can stay a little bit closer. Um, 
in a race like this, you figured the pace was going to be solid with high velocity in this race. I wasn't worried about Encoder uh, or Royal Act, the two horses really coming from turf. Um, Royal Act especially because he had shown uh, good speed in his debut going a mile. He could show that he could stay close to the pace. But for me, I really wasn't too worried about the pace scenario for the closers, especially the turf horses in this race. And in general, I'm really not too worried about it going turf to dirt. I'm worried about the kickback because most of these horses uh, have never faced that before. Let us see if 1,000 Work can get it done for Dan in the multis or if I could get lucky with Encoder right now. And they're off in the Robert B. Lewis. Tis a magician, very alert, high velocity, has plenty of speed too. These two hook up with thousand words just behind them, wrangled back in third. Royal Act inches up between horses, Zimbo Warrior on the outside, also part of the speed. At the back of the field is Encoder. High velocity, able to clear over, leads by a length and a half. Tis a magician chasing him from second and Royal Act a three wide third. Thousand words is fourth, about two and a half off his stablemate with five and a half furlongs to go. Zimba Warrior just outside of him, and Coder at the back of the field. Five furlongs left in the Robert B. Lewis stakes, and it's high velocity in front by about a length. Tis a magician second, Royal Act, thousand words cruises up inside of him. He's only two off the pace as they pass the half mile pole. Zimba Warrior has lost some ground. And at the back is Encoder. Heading to the 3.8, high velocity, prominent every step of the way. Tis a magician trying to put some pressure on him. Royal Act on the outside. Thousand words awaiting his turn. He's traveling very nicely at this point. Has two to make up. We'll wait for room. Encoder has seven lengths to find. And then it's Zimbo Warrior. They turn for home. High velocity. Thousand words looking for room now inside. Tis a magician. They're a furlong from the finish. Thousand words length and stride. Has to get to high velocity. High velocity. Thousand words. Royal Act running a big race on the outside. And Tis a magician. Thousand words just in front. Here's Royal Act on the outside. Thousand words. Thousand words wins the Robert B. Lewis. And Bob Barrett with another incredible milestone, 3,000 North American win. And Thousand Word gets it done, paying just the small 320. 92 buyer, though, improved a little bit. Dan, what were your thoughts post-race? My thoughts post-race is that Thousand Words reminds me a lot of Game Winner, who Bob Baffert trained to a two-year-old championship and a Breeders' Cup juvenile victory a couple of years ago. Now, Game Winner did not necessarily take that step forward at three. For whatever reason, I do not know. This is a horse that you would think, based on the form, that he would win by multiple lengths. And he has yet to do it in any of his races. He's a fighter. He has grit. He likes to look a horse in the eye. He likes to dig down deep. Those are the qualities that remind me of Game Winner. But he's not exactly the sexiest horse you're ever going to see. He's going to win by six. He's going to be a Justify type. He's going to be an American Pharaoh type. It'll be very interesting to see if and when he is able to sort of stretch these horses out because I'm not sure with the way his running style is right now when the competition gets deeper and there is some deep competition right now uh, if he's going to be able to get away with digging down and being gritty and gutty and getting it done every single time he's going to have to I think get uh, one of these runaway wins uh, before I'm completely on his bandwagon but how can you knock an undefeated horse Baffert's going to handle him the right way he did what he had to do to win this race I still think there are just as many questions uh, as answers for this horse right now. 
a couple things for a thousand words. Now, obviously, Baffert always seems to bring his A game, his A horses to Oaklawn. This horse doesn't seem like an Oaklawn horse to me. I think that he'll probably end up keeping this one home. I was a little bit disappointed with Encoder. Obviously, you said down, down on the rail, getting kicked back, didn't seem to like it. I was pleasantly surprised with Royal Actor on second. Tis a Magician improved his buyer a couple points. I think Tis a Magician in maybe one of these preps might end up and actually uh, possibly get a W. What are your thoughts on Tis a Magician? The question with Tis a Magician is, is he going to be able to relax, sit off of another horse, pass, and win? Or is he going to be simply a need-to-lead type? I was a little bit disappointed that he couldn't get by high velocity for third. I think that high velocity proved in this race, if he did not prove it in the Los Alamitos futurity, that he's probably a one-turn mile at the most and probably a seven-furlong type. Uh, and if he was able to hold on for third over Tism Magician was somewhat disappointing. That Tism Magician is so lightly raced, and he has upside potential and more route pedigree. Maybe there's a race from, but the competition just seems so uh, steep in Southern California, not only, uh, you know, just from the Baffert Barn where you've got thousand words and you've got authentic and you've got eight rings who might end up starting training soon and getting back to the rebel. And of course, now you've got this Nadal, the supposed superstar that uh, just won sprinting the other day. But if Honor AP can get back to the races or American Theorem can get back to the races. And of course, you've got the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner, Storm the Court, getting ready for his seasonal debut. Uh, Tis the Magician is going to have to really improve and maybe he needs to go out of town uh, to get that big W. For high velocity, one of the reasons I didn't like the horse, not only was it the speed horse, but it just seemed like in his three races at two, he hadn't improved. Now he jumps up to a 90. Like you said, it's going to be very, very deep waters out in Southern California. Do you think that's the strongest circuit right now for the three-year-olds? Well, I mean, we're going to have to see what goes on a little bit later on in the Holy Bull Stakes. Tis the law is going to be the favorite in that race. We'll see how that race pans out, but... Uh, it's a strong circuit. It's a deep circuit. Let's just say that right now. It might be the deepest circuit right now simply because these Baffert horses are all firing. You've got horses waiting in the wings uh, that have proven uh, legitimate form. And a couple of the big names from last year, horses like Dennis's Moment, now based in Florida, he bombed in the Breeders' Cup. Maybe he had an excuse because it was a deep and cuppy track, but now he sort of has to prove himself all over again. Maxfield, the Breeders' Futurity winner, well, this timeline's getting a little tight. He had surgery over the winter, and you know Brendan Walsh is rightfully going to take it easy with him. So we're going to have to see what's going on in, in Florida. We'll obviously we'll talk about the withers and see how these New York uh, horses stack up. But right now, I agree. I think Santa Anita, uh, that's the strongest one. It's been the strongest one, it seems, for several years. Why don't we switch our tack over to New York, Aqueduct Race 8. It was the grade three withers going a mile and an eighth. Schotsky seemed to be the deserving favorite. What was your inkling in here? My inkling in here was I liked none of them. Uh, I, I, and in this situation, I think from a wagering standpoint, you had to ask yourself, uh, are you willing to take Shotsky at a relatively short price? David Aragona had him at 2-1 to one on the morning line. That seems about right. Um, off of his victory in the Remsen. And I will take nothing away from his victory in the Remsen. He was very, very game. He was ridden beautifully by Luis Saez. But I think anyone that was at Aqueduct on Cigar Mile slash Remsen Day realized you needed to be on the lead. You needed to be close to the rail. Luis Saez realized that. He got to the lead with Shotsky. He dropped the anchor. He opened up at just the right time on the turn, and he held Aja Weed safe in the lane. 
it was a race that probably he's a little bit dressed up by that race. That doesn't mean he's not a capable and competent horse. I actually liked his race in the street sense previously where he was four wide all the way around the track and tried like thousand words. He is a trier. I'm not sure he has the natural ability of thousand words. My main issue Spencer was who else I'm looking at uh, Portos, who's three to one on the morning line, and he's going to take money simply because he's a tappet trained by Todd Pletcher, who won his last race by 11. But who did he beat in that race? I know he looked very, very impressive. It was a sloppy track, and Todd's run this horse in four two-turn races. It makes me wonder if he's sort of a plodding type. The horse is coming down from Canada. Vansy doesn't really do it for me. Monday morning QB, I didn't like that he didn't change leads in the heft. I like him as a horse. I am concerned about his uh, distance stretching out for a mile and an eighth for the first time. And then you've got the two Linda Rice horses. Um, I'm not really keen on Prince of Pharaohs. I guess he could move forward in his second race back, but... I don't know, maybe he'll take some money because of the running line. He was in against Independence Hall, and that horse seems to be all the rage right now. And Max Player probably has the most upside of the two. He's kind of light on figs. I guess these lightly raced three-year-olds can jump up from time to time and, and, and run big figures, and he looked good winning in the slop last time out. But he's just going to have to run significantly faster to win this. Now, I know you talk about looking good in the slop for Max Player and Portos. What... Now, obviously, for me, if I see a big fig in the slop, I tend to usually not look at it. I know that a horse can jump up on certain surfaces. With Portos, if you throw out the 84, now he's down to a 74. It really just looked like it was Shotsky's race to win. What? Obviously, it's kind of hard to tell when a horse goes from slop back to dry dirt. What can kind of make you think that he'll run that same type of figure? Well, I think you got to go back and, and, and watch their action uh, on the replays on both uh, fast and sloppy dirt. And I think in the case of Shotsky, he just really seemed to love it. And he that's a nice stride on dirt, but he just seemed to glide over that sloppy track. And also the competition was very, very weak. And yes, the race came back fast, but fast races on sloppy tracks, they, they often lead to underlaid odds in their very next start. In the case of Max Player, it's very difficult because he's been so green in both of his races. Mm-hmm. Uh, on dirt, he seemed to be you know a little bit goofing off and, and running in spots. And then that sloppy track, I was talking with my colleague Mike Beer about it, and he said Max Player didn't really seem to like it in the early portion of that race. He's climbing over the wet track. He didn't really seem to, to handle it, and then all of a sudden he kicked it in. Now, maybe that's a sign that this is a horse that didn't really like the uh, the wet track. He only he did improve his buyer's speed figure, but that maybe with experience and fast going, he'll do better. Uh, this is a very wide-open race. Yes, Shotsky looks like the, wide, uh, looks like the, uh, the likely winner on paper, but boy, um, you know, if you just want to look at the Remsen and say, here's a chance to, here's one angle where you could try to beat a short price favorite. He had everything go his own way. We even talked about the pace of this race. Shotsky went gate to wire in the Remsen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he's going to make the lead in here. I mean, you've got Monday morning QB breaking from post position two, stretching out. New commission is stretching out, coming out of a similar race. This horse does have the tactical ability to rate. I think that's probably the best idea here, uh, but it's not the exact same trip as getting to the lead and walking the dog, which is the best trip in racing. So there are question marks. It'll be very interesting to see how Shotsky can do it. The great advantage is he has the win at a mile and an eighth. 
in a race like this, wagering wise, I know you said you didn't really like anybody. So is this a race that you would kind of just pass, or would if it's obviously stuck in a multi-race sequence, would you break it up and just play doubles around it? Maybe a pick three. This this was this is a very tough situation for me because again, I really don't like anybody in here. And to be honest with you, when I was looking, when I'm looking at these other these other races surrounding in the multis, I don't love it uh, either. So I mean, if I had, let's say. Okay, a couple of interesting price horses in, in another race. Maybe I would spread and, and try to go three and four deep and try to use the old Steve Christ, avoid one loser uh, by spreading in here. But uh, I, I, this is a race I think I'm just going to watch and enjoy. Uh, unless Shotsky, uh, you know, drifts in the wagering, I think he's fair value probably at five to two or three to one. I think that's a pipe dream to be sure. Uh, I really don't want any part of Portos. Um, and I'm just curious about the others. I don't really have that strong of, a, uh, of an opinion. Uh, if I was going to play maybe the multis, maybe I'd just throw Shotsky out and try to maximize my value trying to beat the favorite. I really like that idea that you just said there where you just throw out a morning line favorite, especially one that you know got his own way the last time out. For me, I was kind of stuck between Portos and Shotsky, and I just said, well, I'll make a morning, I'll make a line so Shotsky at two to one, Portos at anything over five to two, and however the value in the in the races through the betting, that'll end up ma- making my decision much easier. So for me, it ended up being Portos with a win bet for Dan. Maybe be sneaky and just not play Shotsky. Let's see what happened here in the Withers. And they're off. An awkward start for number two, Monday morning quarterback, and he's towards the back of the pack. It is New Commission who's going out for the lead, and Prince of Pharaohs is right there, and Prince of Pharaohs goes on with it to take a narrow lead over New Commission. Shotsky's in between horses. Vanzi's on the outside. Then it's a break of two lengths. Back to Mr. Short and Simple, who is racing in fifth. On the outside is Max Player next in sixth. It's a break of three to a Monday morning quarterback, and Portos is the trailer in eighth as the three-year-olds head up the backstretch after a quarter in 23 and four-fifth seconds. And Shotsky has come on now to take the lead. It's Shotsky in front by a neck. On the outside is Van Zee in second by a length. Prince of Pharaohs down at the rail. On the outside is New Commission. New Commission is third with Prince of Pharaohs racing in fourth. Then on the outside, it's Max Player next in fifth. Monday morning quarterback splits horses now and moves up a spot. Then it's Mr. Short and Simple, and Portos continues to trail about seven lengths off the lead. The opening half mile in 49 seconds. It's Shotsky, pressured here by Vanzi, and on the outside, new commission. So it's three of them across the track for the lead. Monday morning quarterback has now advanced up into fourth. Down on the inside is Prince of Pharaohs. Far outside, it's Max Player, who's beginning to pick it up. And Portos is still in with a chance as the field comes for the quarter pole. Three quarters in one, 13 and four. On the inside it is Shotsky. And on the outside it's Monday morning quarterback. Max Players out in the middle of the track. Then it's New Commission and Portos. And now there's an eighth of a mile to the finish. Shotsky digs down on the inside. Monday morning quarterback. But here is Max Player on the outside to take over the lead in deep stretch. And Max Player will win the Withers by almost three lengths. Shotsky was second. It's a photo for third between Portos and Monday morning quarterback. And Max Player gets it done, jumping up, like Dan said, could be possible, paying twelve eighty with an 86 buyer. So really, it just seems like all these horses are going to run right around that mid-80 buyer. No one really jumped up 
two big, except for Max Player, who we said had needed to improve on his figs. Dan, thoughts after the Withers? I think that this crop has a lot of growing up to do. That doesn't mean that they can't do it. Heck, it's early February. Uh, but Max Player kind of just grinded this out. He's an honor code. We had a feeling that these honor codes might be slow starters as two-year-olds. They might be getting better, sort of like the tonalists this time of year with more distance and more maturity. He's handled by a great trainer in Linda Rice. Um, I don't know if I was absolutely blown away by his performance. He got it done, and I guess he's on the road right now. I think we have to give Shotsky a little bit of credit. I don't think he's a Kentucky Derby horse, but... If you watch this race, I was very surprised that they were aggressive with him coming out of there. And I know he won the Remsen uh, on the lead. And I understand after Monday morning, QB missed the break. All of a sudden, I guess Luis Saez thought he could make the front. But Prince of Pharaohs was going to push him. Vanzi was going to push him. I like the fact that when you look at the horses that pressed Chotsky, Vanzi basically mm-hmm. was walked off the track. New commission who made a run at him on the far turn just flattened out. Prince of Pharaohs was very, very disappointing, arguably the disappointment of the race. Shotsky ran the other pace horses off of their feet and basically ended up sandwiched uh, between two closers, Max Player, who was much the best, and Portos, who was coming on late and just looks like that typical you know, Belmont plodding mile-and-a-half type of mm-hmm. horse if he gets there. Uh, I thought Shotsky ran very well, a game race, uh, doing a lot of the dirty work on the lead, giving five pounds to the winner. No match for the winner in the stretch. A good performance for him, and I wonder if all of a sudden he becomes now sort of the, the local Preakness horse where they go to the uh, the Tessio uh, into the Preakness and uh, the local uh, connections have a horse in the Preakness. Now, talking from a wagering standpoint, you had said just don't play Shotsky and just kind of play the rest. Sorry about that. That would be my dog, Shadow, making a surprise appearance here on the podcast. Um, with that type of wagering in mind, is it good to play doubles, or are we talking more of the longer multi-race, like pick fives, pick fours? I, I think it's always better to go for the longer uh, multi-race. I think you're trying to make a score every day you go to the racetrack. And the way to do it nowadays is in the pick four, pick five. Um, I'm not a big fan of sort of like the Empire Six wager, the 20-cent uh, mm-hmm. wagers, unless there's a, a guaranteed takeout. But I think you're trying to make a score. And if you can find a vulnerable favorite, uh, go against them. Again, Shotsky was the most likely winner on paper. Uh, it, 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 you would have, it would have been a, a nice leap of faith and a, a little bit of uh, some courage to throw him out of any kind of multiple race wagers. I was surprised Max Player went off at 5-1 to one in this race. Uh, almost everybody I talked to at the DRF, from Marcus Hirsch to, to Mike Beard to Craig Milkowski, liked this horse. And I thought that he would be certainly the third choice in this race. Uh, Monday morning, QB ran a heck of a race. We have to talk about him as well because he was expected to be part of the pace, and he just missed it. And then he made this big, wide move into the stretch. And his lead changes we talked about a little bit, they're not very good. For him to run fourth probably gives him another opportunity down the road. Uh, I think he's going to be a nice sprinter. So for Monday morning, QB, you would not go to another prep. You'd probably turn him back at this point. Well, I'm I'm the most conservative person in the world because I don't own horses and I don't get derby dreams. Uh, <laughs> I think if I owned this horse, I probably would give him one more shot. Uh, I I think that 
he has an excuse. I mean, anyone who watches the race knows, okay, he misses the break. It doesn't, uh, you know, he makes this big wide move. You could, he gets beat, what, five lengths for all of the money. I, I think he probably deserves another start. I just don't think it's a great idea to go a mile and an eighth with him right now. I would try to cut him back maybe to a mile and a sixteenth, even a mile and see mm-hmm. they have. But he's another horse, I think, down the road that, you know, you hope they don't get too crazy with the derby fever because we've seen the derby fever ruin nice horses, and this horse looks like he does have some potential. Let's go ahead and check out our last race. This would be at Gulfstream Park, race 11. It's the grade three Holy Bull, another mile and a sixteenth. Tis the law, making the comeback for his three-year-old season. What were your thoughts, Dan? Well, my first thoughts are I, I probably have this preconceived negative opinion on Tis the Law. Nothing to do with Tis the Law, simply because um, funny side, you know, broke my heart when he beat Empire Maker mm-hmm. in the Kentucky Derby. That year, my favorite <laughs> horse, and the plucky New York bred, and here he is one more time. Now, I have a feeling Tis the Law might be better than a plucky New York bred. Um, we saw that in the Champagne and only his second lifetime start. My main concern with Tis the Law after the Champagne was, okay, well, why aren't you running in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile? Oh, we have a little problem here. We have a little problem here. We don't want to go to the Juvenile. Now, you see the results of the Juvenile, Spencer. Boy, I'd go to the juvenile if I had a chance to do that all over again, and I'm seeing that super yeah. pay something like fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Then maybe he wouldn't have handled the track like a lot of horses didn't. They decided to go to Churchill Downs. Barkley Tag knows what he's doing, and I don't know what to think about that race. Uh, he has a ready-made excuse right there in the racetrack. It's a sloppy track. He's down inside. He's getting that stuff kicked in his face. I thought when he had a chance to get clear. He just was flat. I don't know what to make of that race. It was his first race around two turns. I'm guessing the slop was probably the reason he didn't run very well. You look at the horses coming out of that race, and Forcible won the Lecompte, but then there are a couple of others coming out of that race that have done nothing. So I'm kind of confused looking at that Kentucky Jockey Club. I know he's a good horse. This is a race where maybe there's not a lot of competition for him. He probably has to win this race to, and probably has to win it nicely in order to maintain that aura that a lot of folks have sort of surrounded him with. Uh, I don't know how short I want to take him. He's 3-5 to five on the morning line. I don't think he will be 3-5. to five. I think Chad's horse will take some money. I think he'll be even money. Um, and I don't know really what I want to do with him at even money. Mm-hmm. I have to use him, though, because he's just the best horse in the race. For me, and I actually had a long conversation with somebody who actually sits right next to you in the office, Bobby Raposa, and I was, oh, trying, to, I was trying to figure out how to uh, not really get Tis the Law on top, but I wanted to try and beat him, and I ended up on the four at, in the end. I just thought that the race first off the layoff and just first-time dirt to really explode and improve his number like that, this may be the horse that actually wanted dirt all along. Now, I know Patrick Biancone is not that good second off the layoff, only 9% based on the DRF stats. Luca Panici, only 8% as a jockey, and did ride him really well last time out in that optional 75K. This was a horse that I just looked at all the other ones. Toledo, I didn't really want, did, couldn't get it done in the allowance race. Looking at Tis the Law, I thought that he was going backwards. I don't like horses that start off with a 90 and then end up with an 80 by the end of the year. Like you had said, that wasn't a sloppy track. But usually you wouldn't see so much of a drop. There's some type of improvement. 
And even the 89 second time out, there should have been improvement as well. So from a wagering standpoint in this race, I went with Indian. Where did you end up? I was actually interested in Toledo, um, the horse that Et Indian beat last time out. Et Indian beat him pretty handily. I'll, I'll give you that. But I just think he was ridden too confidently. He was the big favorite in that race, um, was Toledo. He ended up in and among horses on the back stretch. Irat Ortiz then ended up taking him four wide uh, all the way through the turn. And he, he just, you know, I, I just don't think that was the right ride. I think he could have been a little bit more aggressive with that horse. The fact that Chad's coming on here, again, he knows there's the loss in this race. He knows that Indiana is in this race. I think he likes this horse. Um, I'm not sure what his ceiling is. Uh, to me, I think he's the more likely upsetter. Uh, if there is going to be one to tis the law, I think he can turn the tables on Ed Indiana who got the big jump on him. But I will say about Ed Indiana, this horse reminds me a little bit of another Bien Cohen horse, Diamond Oops, and he's got a long way to go, obviously, to match Diamond Oops' mm-hmm. credentials. But this horse seems to, to do just about everything right. You know, Diamond Oops can route, he can sprint, he can run on the turf, he can run on the dirt. When this horse made his career debut in a five-furlong race on the turf, it was part of the Sonic Five wager. And I was really interested just to see what he would do. And I didn't expect him to come from 15 lengths out of it in a five-furlong turf race and win. He showed an explosive kick that day. And the fact that then on dirt he's able to just rework his entire, uh, his entire running style and go right to the front this is a horse with something, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if he can get to the front in this race because there does look like, you know, he can get to the lead. I know Relentless Dancer looks like he's got a little bit of pace. Tis the Law has tactical speed. I'm not sure if he really wants to go. Maybe he can go to the front and lull these to sleep again. And remember, at a mile and a 16th at Gulfstream, you know, it's the first wire, it's, it's a short stretch. For this race really i it just it came down to those three horses i didn't like anyone else in here did any of the long shots kind of pique your interest at all not really i mean i looked at relentless dancer and watched his last race simply because of you know a michael maker is on fire it seems mm-hmm. everywhere he goes and b you know you look at that margin of victory at delta downs and you're like wow you know relentless dancer maybe he's a sleeper but i wasn't blown away by his win uh, at delta downs and the other three they just look like they just look like big big long shots in here i i, I mayberry deputy i think has some potentially showed some grit in that last race but this is just a giant step up in class uh clear destination might simply be a synthetic horse and, and on cork the bottle coming from tampa bay that that's a big ask let's see if ndn can get it done for me in the holy bowl or if toledo can spring the upset against tisla on ndn right now and they're off in the holy bull and tis the law could not have broke any better he was away very quickly and he's on to take an early lead at the indian is on his outside restless dancer is widest of all through the first turn with toledo saving ground toward the rail clear destination is headstrong between horses ahead of uncork the bottle he's second last and leparu drops mayberry deputy over to the rail to race last of the seven as ette indian now gets to the front Ette Indian leads by a length over Restless Dancer in second. Franco has Tis the Law pocketed up third after that sharp beginning. Clear Destination is between horses. Now Tis the Law had to tap on the brakes a bit as Clear Destination wanted the same spot. Back to the outside and uncorked the bottle. Then it's Toledo, and the trailer is Mayberry Deputy. 
Down the back stretch they go after a quarter in 23 and 1. Ette, Indiana, and Padici in front by half a length. Restless Dancer on the outside is second. Clear destination parked at the rail third. Franco had to angle Tis the Law to the two path, but he's comfortable enough now. Two and a half lengths off the lead inside half a mile from home. Uncork the bottle is next from Toledo, second last, and the trailer is Mayberry Deputy. They round the far turn. Ette, Indian has the lead in the clear, and on the attack is Tis the Law. He's only a neck off the top. Three clear of Uncork the bottle, who's trying a four wide run. Toledo is with him, backpedaling clear destination and restless dancer and Mayberry Deputy is at the back and Tis the Law is in front. Less than a quarter of a mile to go in the Holy Bull. Tis the Law sets sail under Manny Franco and moves to a three-length lead. Ette Indian is back to second, well clear of Toledo Turf in third with an eighth of a mile left to go. Tis the Law shifting ground to touch. He's down toward the inner rail but he's in front. Ette Indian is game but he's only second best to Sakatoga Stables. Tis the Law. Your holy bull winner. And Tis the Law gets it done with what is probably the most impressive prep of the weekend. Only paid 460. You got six to five on him, so he floated up a little bit. The buyer was a hundred. Looks like we got a real animal on our hands here, Dan. It's all about keeping him sound now because this was a striking performance. And again, you don't want to get too excited. It's the first uh, Saturday in February, not mm -hmm. the first Saturday in May. We've got a long way to go. Tis the law really didn't beat anybody in this race. But, you know, A, you could argue that 6-5 to five was value on this horse. Uh, I was stunned that Toledo ended up 9-5 to five in this race. He was a blatant underlay. Uh, I thought Ette Indian ran very, very well. Uh, but let's, let's break the race down. I mean, Manny Franco for a second looked like he was going to be burned in effigy on the backstretch. Mm -hmm. uh, he broke well with this horse, and when you're on the best horse and you're on the lead at Gulfstream, you just probably go on with it, right? But I guess these uh, connections understand what they have, and it's all about teaching this horse and giving him lessons in these prep races. That's why they call them preps. And Manny Franco... You know, he raided Tis the Law back in a little bit of traffic, and he had to steady him a bit, and I'm sure the chalk players were gasping at that point. But once Tis the Law got to the outside and got rolling, the outcome really wasn't in doubt. Ate Indian was very game. I mean, what was he, 15 lengths clear of everybody else? It was a good effort for him, and an effort that certainly propels him, I would think, to another shot at Gulfstream where, where speed can carry. But boy, Tis the Law was simply much the best in this race. It was a it was a sensational performance. It erases any doubts about the Kentucky Jockey Club in one fell swoop. And we've now got a three-year-old that's won the Champagne, that's won the Holy Bull. He's got to be one or two, I think, on most lists. Did it surprise you that he floated up and that Toledo floated down at all with how much better of a sheet it looked like Tis the Law had going into the race? I was surprised. I mean, I know a, a lot of us numbskulls in the uh, in, in the media, DRF especially, were questioning his uh, his Kentucky Jockey Club, and maybe uh, that was the reason. Although I don't want to give us too much credit for that, but I, I guess maybe the Chad factor had something to do with it with Toledo. I was just very, very surprised that Tis the Law drift. I thought even money. I mean, listen, six to five even money. You're you're splitting hairs, thirteen to ten even money. But this is a horse if he ran his champagne, was going to win. And I was surprised he drifted, but uh, the people that bet him, they, they should be extremely pleased to get the 460. Uh, as for Toledo, I don't think he's this kind of horse. I, I don't know what Chad's going to do with him. Um, I would doubt he's going to go to another three-year-old race uh, right now. It's got to be an allowance race for him somewhere. At the Indian... He was beaten here. Maybe he won't catch Tis the Law next time. Something tells me Tis the Law may go to Louisiana 
and uh, it'll open things up for Ette Indian. Not that it gets any easier when the Dennis's moments and the likes come back as well. Ette Indian came back with a 95, so these two actually ran the top two buyers for the preps for this weekend. So maybe Gulfstream Park will be the one to absurp Santa Anita before all the big guns come out of training. That's certainly possible, um, and we've seen, obviously, a good horse come out of Gulfstream, a maximum security, mm-hmm. uh, for example, and others. Uh, it's a track where you have to keep in mind that speed will occasionally dominate for days and days at a time. When maximum security won the Florida Derby last year, it was a situation of you know, he got to the lead on a day where uh, he didn't need much help, but when he got to the day on a day where there was no closing going on, you know, you saw a horse like Code of Honor in that race, and he ran sort of flat. You kind of knew he was better than that because the track played against him. It's something to consider at Gulfstream. Tis the law may not be there. He may be going down to Louisiana, where right now the pickings could, you know, arguably be slim with enforceable. Uh, the winner of the Lecomte, uh, he looks like a horse that could be had by a horse like Tis the Law. We'll see. I mean, A.T. Indy and I, I would not count out right now, but it's nice to know that you've got plenty of options. Turf, dirt, sprint, route. One last question now that all the races are done. Do you have any certain angles for the preps going forward for newer beginner handicappers that don't watch races in and out every day, but maybe are those weekend warrior types that they can kind of learn something? I think that you have to consider... uh, these races for horses that already have points to be preps that you want to see a horse move forward each and every time and that's what was somewhat concerning with me for thousand words he moved forward uh but he didn't take that explosive step forward and maybe pafford is rationing it out i'm not really sure trainers have that power uh you know where all of a sudden they can you know magically touch a horse and in one prep race uh they're going to open up and win by eight and show their their true potential Uh, I think you're supposed to see gradual improvement. And if you find one or two or three horses, and for the weekend warriors, I would say, even if it's just for fun, pick a list of 10, put them on your horse watch, watch them, look for gradual improvement. They don't have to win their preps and don't get down on them if they don't win their prep races. But if you do see a good late run or a troubled trip, all of a sudden now maybe you've got a horse down the road that if he does get enough points to show up in the uh, Kentucky Derby, you're going to get a big price on a horse that could be dirtied up based on various factors. I want to say thank you so much, Dan. Everyone listening, please, the two-year-old season is right around the corner. Go check out Betting Maidens and Two-Year-Olds. I got my copy off Amazon. Dan also has a DVD on uh, trip handicapping that I also own. Go check those out. Really, really valuable influences for me and my handicapping dan thank you so much for spending time with us today spencer thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it thanks to all of our great fans for listening to this show and my special guest dan Elman, for joining me today this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's president is pierre thomas Fornatel. our chief creative officer is jonathan kinchin and our in the money media business manager is drew Cotney. i'm spencer luganbuehl and we will see you next time <laughs>